Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled Five Smooth Stones. If you have your Bible this morning, I'm in 1 Samuel 17, beginning in the 40th verse. It is very familiar ground, 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 40. Sooner or later, every Christian will face a giant in his or her life. God allows giants in order to develop and prove our faith. In Numbers 14 and 9, when everyone else was backing away in fear from the giants in the land of Canaan, the Bible says there were two friends named Joshua and Caleb who stepped up and said about those giants, Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Will you say that with me? For they are our bread. Say it again. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Amen? What a great word. They are our bread, the original breakfast of champions. Amen? It's not Wheaties, it's giants. They are our bread today. Warren Wearsby once said that giants are the bumps we climb on to get to our destiny. I like that. We climb on the bumps of giants in our lives and they propel us to our destiny. But how do you face a giant? How do you overcome an obstacle or a great barrier that is standing between you and what you believe God intends for you to do and accomplish? Well, if there is a story that teaches us how, it is the story before us today in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in the 40th verse. If you found it, say amen. I remind you, if you have the Version Bible app on your phone, you can follow along with the notes of today's message as well. Amen. And I will trust that you're not surfing Facebook, but that you're looking at the notes. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bible, I brought my hard copy. Amen? Amen. If you got your hard copy or your electronic copy, read with me. 1 Samuel 17, beginning in the 40th verse. Then David took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and with his sling in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. Ruddy. He had a pimple face, right? Red-faced. Good-looking. That meant he still had a baby face. A little, he, he looked like, more like a little girl's face than a little boy's face. He didn't have any whiskers. He wasn't shaving yet. He was still a pretty boy. Amen? That's what it means. This lad, however old he is, we're not exactly certain, but he is young, very young. He is not even shaving yet, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin. 
but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. What a boast from a man who doesn't even have a sword on his side. I will take your head from you, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Oh, hallelujah. Verse 47, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he flung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. And his people said, Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you today about five smooth stones. Say that with me. Five smooth stones. When David reached down in the brook, he picked up five smooth stones and put them in his shepherd's pouch. And that was going to be the weapon he used to strike the giant. How do you overcome the giants in your life? I believe this passage gives us five smooth stones. Five ways we can overcome the obstacles that we face. And I want to tell you the first one is found in verse 28. And it is a divine discontent. Say that with me. A divine discontent. David grew unhappy with the way things were. He was dissatisfied with the way things were going in the camp of Israel. He was upset with the way this thing was playing out. The Philistines and the children of Israel were camped on opposite sides of the valley and they were waiting on, each waiting on the other to make the first move in battle. They were at a stalemate. Finally, one of the, the, the Philistines recommended a solution. You pick a man and we will pick a man and we will send each of our two best warriors down into the valley and we will let them fight and we will allow the gods to decide who wins. If your God is greater than our God, then your man will win. But if our God is greater than your gods, then we will win. And of course, they picked Goliath, this giant monster of a man who was somewhere between 9 and 11 feet tall, depending on how you measure a cubit. A cubit is the distance from the tip of your finger to your elbow. Now, how many of you know that my cubit is not the same as some other people's cubits, right? And so there's a little variation in the way you measure that. There wasn't a standard unit of measure for a cubit. It was a guesstimation, amen? And so, but somewhere between 9 and 11 feet tall, depending on whose arm you measured him by, is this man named Goliath. He is enormous. He is a, truly a giant of a man. And so here they are, and no one in the camp of Israel, not even King Saul, who stood head and shoulders above every man in Israel, 
was chomping at the bit to go down and face this monster of a man in the field of battle. And David heard about the stalemate. He heard that no one was moving ahead and taking the challenge. Back in verse 28, which we did not read, but if you flip back in the same chapter, verse 28, the Bible says that now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. David showed up and overheard, and he said, Why do you come down here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. They accused David of just wanting to see the fight and not having any business being down there. Well, the reality was he came to bring their lunch. If I was David, I'd have took the lunch and went back with it. Amen? After being talked to like that, they could have eaten their own fingernails. But he didn't. He dropped off the supplies for his ungrateful brothers. Older brothers can be a pain, I hear. That's what Wesley says anyway. Amen. And here they are making fun of him. But David's answer to them was, I didn't just come down to see the battle. And if I'm upset and hot and bothered, he said, is there not a cause? Say that with me. Is there not a cause? David says, don't I have good reason to be upset and stirred up? David got discontented about the way things were going in Israel. Why was no one stepping up? What was David's motivation in facing this giant? Well, he heard that whoever would face the giant, if you lived to tell the tale, you would get prize money, you would win the daughter of the king's hand in marriage, and your family would be tax-exempt for the rest of their life. Now, some of you about April would really appreciate a benefit like that, wouldn't you? Uh, Well, here he is, and what a great offer on the table. Not to mention the fame that would go out about your name if you were the one who, who succeeded in this battle. But David did not step out because of the money or the pretty girl or even the glory and fame that would come to his name by fighting and winning this battle. David's cause was the glory of God. Say the glory of God. In verse 26, he says, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, and he said, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Every time David speaks about the giant, he points out that the issue is not not so much that Israel has been defied, but that the God of Israel has been defied. They're insulting God. They're insulting Yahweh. They're insulting the Lord Jehovah. And David can't stand to see God's name brought low or his power called into question by people who worship a foreign God. It was the glory of God that motivated David. James tells us that our motives have to be right in order for God to weigh in on our side. Otherwise, we ask amiss when we pray. David was trying to get, he wasn't trying to get God to act on his side. David was determined to act on God's side. And can I tell you, you're always guaranteed God's help when you weigh in on God's side of a fight. Amen? Most of us spend way too much time trying to convince God to take our side when what we need to be doing is making sure we're taking God's side. Amen? Amen. 
Years ago, that's what Abraham Lincoln said about the Civil War. You had two sides fighting and both of them praying to the same God for victory in the battle. And someone asked President Lincoln, what do you think about that? He said, I am not so much concerned as whether God is on our side as whether or not we are on God's side. That's always the question, isn't it? If I'm on the Lord's side, he will help me in the battle. And David was definitely on the Lord's side. Many things in our, in our families, our churches, our communities, and our world bring glory of the name of Jesus. They inhibit the work of the kingdom of God. They're obstacles to the church advancing and the gospel going forward. There are many great causes that we ought to be engaged in fighting in our day. The church ought to be on the front line of fighting many battles in our culture today. We should be. We have a right to be there. Is there not a cause? And whenever we determine that something breaks the heart of God, that something displeases God, that something dishonors the name of Jesus, we ought to rise up and say, I'm not content to let this go on. Amen? The first step to winning the battle is a divine discontent. You've got to get unhappy about the way things are. You have to get stirred up in your spirit about this thing. And David was stirred up about what was happening. When's the last time you got stirred up about something in the world and decided that you could not sit by any longer while nothing happened to address the situation? I wish God's people would get stirred up again about some things. Whenever the church gets stirred up, things begin to change in the community around it. Amen? Amen. It starts with someone getting discontent. Say discontent. The second thing is there was a determined action. He had to move. He had to take action on it. He praying about it was not enough. Feeling anxious about it was not enough. Again, we have to move in this direction of action. We have to be discontent enough that it drives us to do something about the problem. Many of us look in our families and we face strife. Maybe things are broken in your relationship with your spouse or with your children. And you are very discontent about it. You're, you're upset. You're worried about it. You're, you're troubled. You know it shouldn't be that way. Maybe there's a cause in the, in the community and you look around and say, I'm bothered by what I see around me. Well, let me ask you this. What are you planning to do about it? What action step are you going to take? Because even our prayers by themselves are not enough. They must lead to definitive action. David could pray all he wanted to. The people of Israel could pray all they wanted to. But at the end of the day, somebody had to walk down into that valley and stare that giant in the face and fight him on the ground. Sooner or later, we cannot run from the battle. We have to engage in the battle that is before us. Eventually, action is required of us as the people of God if anything changes, whether it's in our family, our church, our community, our country, or our world. Someone must get discontent enough to say, I will do something about the problem. I'm willing to face the giant. Amen? Action. Say action. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. David got tired of waiting on everybody else and finally he said, I will go and I will fight him. If nobody else will, then I will. Amen. What David didn't know is this has been the Lord's plan all along. David thought he was waiting on them and God was waiting on David. 
Many of you today are in situations where you keep waiting, you keep hesitating, you keep looking around you, your heart is burdened about something, you worry, you pray, you fret, you see it, and you wonder why other people are not worried about it and burdened about it like you are. Can I let you in on a secret? Whatever bothers you and troubles you, it is a sign from God that you are supposed to do something about it. Instead of getting upset and, and saying, well, I wish somebody, why didn't somebody address that? Why didn't the pastor fix that? Why didn't the mayor fix that? Why don't you do something about it? Oh, who, me? I'm not able to do anything. Well, if David could face Goliath, what giant can you face today? Amen? Amen. Uh, we kept saying for a long time we wanted the ministry of divorce care to relaunch in this church. And we kept looking around and, and finding, looking for someone who would help and get the ball rolling again. And nobody really was, was biting on that. And so finally, a little giant slayer in our congregation named Rose Grimes at the age of, well, I won't say because I'd get in trouble if I said. Amen. Uh, if you want to know, she may tell you. And if she doesn't, then don't ask. Amen. Rose came to me and said, I've had enough and I'm discontent enough to do something about it. And in spite of my age, if you'll give me your blessing and your help, we will relaunch this ministry of divorce care. She reached out to Roy and Mary Anderson who were going to help and get this thing off the ground. And in just a few weeks, the ministry of divorce care will be rolling in the Forest Hill Church of God again. Amen? Amen. Why? Because our secretary got discontent and said, if nobody else is going to do something about it, I'm willing to do something about it. And she did. And now we're rolling with a new ministry coming back online that we once had. What bothers you? What issue grips you by the heart? Maybe it's a lack in the church. Maybe it's something in the community that you see that just grates on your nerves and, 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 and causes you to tear up every time you notice it. When are you going to be willing to step up and say, maybe the reason it bothers me is because I'm the one God is calling to address it and to step up and do something about it. Oh, it's quiet in the holiness church this morning. Maybe you're the one who's called to engage the Goliath standing in the valley, hindering the people of God, bringing low the name of Jesus. David determined he would take action in the cause of God. Everyone quaking in their tent doors, waiting on God, and they were, God was waiting on them. In his book, Up From Slavery, Booker T. Washington said, For years I prayed for freedom from slavery, but God did not answer those prayers until I stopped praying with my lips and I prayed with my feet one night. Amen. Faith without works is dead being alone. Sometimes we have to pray with our feet. Amen. The priests had to step into the waters of the Jordan with the ark on their shoulder before the water ever rolled back and parted. Sometimes you've got to get your feet wet before you see the water roll back. Amen? Amen. So what does it take to see the giant fall? Well, it takes a divine discontent and it takes a determined action. And number three, David had a documented history. Say history. Why was David willing to step up and do this when no one else was willing to do it? Because David had a testimony. Say a testimony. This wasn't David's first fight. This wasn't the first time he'd stared down an enemy for which he was no match. David had a history of winning impossible battles. David had already seen that God could use him in a mighty way. Verse 33, the Bible says, Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. 
But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. Don't you love that? He still kept his father's sheep. That was his job. But David said, that's not going to be my job after today. (laughs) I used to keep my father's sheep. I'm turning in my resignation right after this battle. Amen. I love that. He used to keep his father's sheep. Yeah, like 30 minutes ago you used to. I love the Bible. Just those little lines are great. I used to keep my father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came out and took a lamb of my father's flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Verse 37. Amen? David's decision was not made in a vacuum. He had already experienced God's help when facing his enemies, the lion and the bear. They were both bigger than him, but they were both smaller than God. Amen? That's what we have to remember when we face a battle. They may be, the giants are bigger than us, but they're smaller than the God that we serve. Amen? The Bible says the way we overcome that great dragon who faces us down in, um, in Revelation chapter 12, the way we overcome that dragon, the devil, is by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Say testimony. Our testimony is what Jesus has done for us. Our testimony is that by the blood of the Lamb, we've been made victorious over the powers of darkness. That's our testimony. That the blood has made us more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. That's our testimony. And we overcome by remembering our testimony. I believe every believer ought to keep a written record of the battles that God helps them to win. I believe in keeping a journal. It doesn't have to be a long entry, but whenever God answers, you ought to write down how God answered. When I was a young man, my faith was always kindled when I went to the Monday night prayer meeting of my church because in the pulpit, we kept uh, records. On the pulpit was always a little notebook, and it was a prayer notebook, and needs were written down in that notebook that we were praying for as a congregation. And a sweet lady from Sebastopol, Mississippi, named Kathy Mara Wooten, kept up with that prayer book. You remember Kathy and her family, Brenda? Kathy kept up with that book, and while we all wrote down prayer requests in that book, Kathy wrote something else down in that book. She prayed through it every day. She kept up with that book, and every time God would answer a prayer, Kathy Wooten would go find where it was in that book, and she'd write a date out beside it. And then she'd write a date out beside the next one. And I want to tell you, when I was 15 years old, you could reach in the pulpit of the Faith Fellowship Church in Lexington, Mississippi, and you could pull out a stack of notebooks that deep. And every time you'd read, it'd be one, and then there'd be two that have dates by them. And maybe one didn't, but you'd flip page after page after page where it was filled up with the dates of where God had answered the prayers of his people. We had a history. We had a testimony. We had a legacy of seeing God move and answer prayer. And I want to tell you, whenever the enemy would come and we would face a new battle and we would wonder if we were going to be able to make it or not, all we would have to do is reach under that pulpit and pull out our notebooks and shake them in the face of the devil and say, God helped us beat the lion and God helped us whip the bear and God will help us overcome again in this circumstance.
You need a documented history. You need to remember your story. You need to sit down once in a while and recount those things. And you need to tell them to your children and your grandchildren so they hear the stories about what God has done in your life. Amen? He wasn't comparing the giant to himself. He was comparing the giant to his God, and he knew God was able. He didn't just have the old stories of Moses or the stories of Joshua. David had his own stories that he could tell. The stories of the Bible are great encouragement to us, but you need your story. You need your own testimony of what God has done in your own life. You need to add to the record of what God has done. Because it encourages me to see that God parted the water for Moses. But I want to tell you, I've seen God part some water in my own impossible circumstances. Amen. It's wonderful to read how Jesus healed the lame man. I want to tell you, I've been in services where I've seen the lame man get up out of a wheelchair and leave his wheelchair behind. I've been in services where I've seen cancer healed. I've been in services where I've seen those kinds of things happen. I've had God touch me in my own body and people in my family. So whenever we face those battles, we can fight them. Well, pastor, what about the moments whenever you don't? Well, sometimes your giant is not sickness. Sometimes your giant is grief over the loss of someone who's passed away. That's a great giant. Nothing can suck the life out of you like the enemy of grief and the giant of this, all these feelings that overwhelm you whenever you've lost someone. Maybe today it's not you need a miracle of overcoming sickness, but maybe today you need help knocking down the giant of grief in your life. You're just so broken on the inside. You, you feel like you can't move forward. You feel like no matter how hard you try to motivate yourself, there's this one great obstacle standing in your way today. Can I tell you today, it is not the will of God if you are left behind when someone who has, who's passed on. It is not God's will for you to spend the rest of your life in, in sorrow and in deep brokenness and sadness. Your loved one wouldn't want that and the Lord wouldn't want that for you. If the Lord's left you here, it is God's will that you be able to eventually overcome and conquer that giant and move forward in the grace and the help of God. Amen? Do you believe that God can do that for you? Don't get caught in the shadow of this shine of grief today. Don't let him terrify you. Don't buy the lie that you won't ever move on. Will things ever be like they were? No, even God won't change the past. But that doesn't mean the future can't be blessed. It doesn't mean that your tomorrows can't once again be filled with love and joy and peace and a sense of the presence of God and that you don't still have a purpose and something to do for the kingdom of God. Don't let this giant intimidate you today. Your God's able to carry you through the valley of the shadow of death, and he's able to help you overcome the giant of grief today. Would you say amen? Amen. amen. God's faithfulness is meant to be proven out in our experience. So here he is. What, the, what else did David have? Well, number four, he had a decided dependence. Say dependence. His fourth smooth stone was he was dependent on his God. He knew who he was trusting for help. His trust was not in the armor of Saul. Saul dressed him up in his best armor and it hung off David. David could probably hardly even walk around in the stuff. And David said, I can't wear this armor. I haven't tested it yet. I love that. I haven't tested it. The only thing David had tested was that slingshot in his pocket. Amen. The only thing he'd ever had any experience with was that. And he said, all I've ever had is God and a bag of rocks. And God and a bag of rocks got me this far. And God and a bag of rocks will get me through today. Amen. Amen. You see, it wasn't the sling and it wasn't the stone. It was the God who stood with David because David stood with God. 
And you may look at your weapons and you may say, what is this against the enemy that I'm facing? I'm no match for the enemy before me. You may not be. You may feel like he's coming at you with spear and sword and javelin, a giant dressed in bronze armor with an armor bearer holding the shield before him. But I want to tell you today, God says that there are more with you than there are with your enemies. And God plus you make a majority. And God will stand with you today, and you can trust in him. Verse 45 says, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. His trust was not in Saul's armor. What match was it against Goliath? Even Saul's armor would have done him no good. This man's over 10 feet tall. His spear weighed 32 pounds. Can you imagine that? His spearhead weighed 32 pounds. Most of us couldn't even pick it up with one hand. And he could throw that at you and, and end your life. His armor weighed 175 pounds. He is a monster covered from head to toe in bronze. But his trust was in the power of God. Goliath said, I will kill you. And David said, no, my God will kill you. Love that. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. Our hope today is in the Lord our God. Our hope is in the Lord. Years ago when the Protestant Reformation began a man named Martin Luther faced very real enemies not only spiritual, but physically. There were a group of people who hated that he preached that we're saved by grace through faith apart from our good deeds or works that we try to add to the gospel. He preached that Jesus was the Savior, not our own works through the church. He preached that we become part of the church by getting connected to Jesus, not the other way around. And he preached that the Bible was the authority over the church, not the Pope. And it got him into hot water with guess whom? the Pope. <laughs> and people came out not only to criticize him or to try to stop him, but literally to arrest him and kill him. They wanted to end his life. And one night, a group of German soldiers came and hid him away in a tower to protect him from being arrested and probably killed by the Pope. But even that tower in which he stood that night, he feared would not be enough to keep him safe from certain death. And while he sat in his room reading his Bible and praying, while his enemies literally were feet below him outside the windows, circling, hoping to haul him away and take him to trial and eventually to him to die as a martyr. And while sitting in that tower, knowing that the tower was not enough to defend him, Martin Luther penned these words, A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sivaoth his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battles. 
Verse 3, Martin was starting to feel the Holy Ghost and he said, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fail him. That word above all earthly power, no thanks to them, that word abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, his truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever and ever. That is the fortress. That is the trust. That is the confidence that the people of God have. Is that even if they stop me, they won't be able to stop my God. But you know what? Whenever you stand with God... Oftentimes you find that they're not able to stop you either because you're connected to God. And God has chosen that through you, the glory of his name is going to be exalted. David had that confidence. Hear me today. Why was David so confident? Well, lastly today, I believe it's because David knew he had a predetermined destiny. Say a destiny. How could David be so sure I mean, I understand if he thought, well, you know, I don't know how this is going to play out, but I'm going to do my best, and just perhaps the Lord will help me. But that's not what David said, is it? David spoke in absolute certainties. I will deliver you over to the carcass, your carcass to the birds of the air. I will strike you down. I will take your head off your shoulders. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. He was certain he was absolutely sure. How could he be so sure? Let me tell you why as I bring this to a close. Because he knew what his destiny was. And he knew he had not fulfilled that destiny. This is chapter 17. Say 17. If you go back to chapter 16, you'll find the story. 16 verse 1. The Bible says that a man named Samuel was crying because God had rejected Saul as king. And the Lord said, how long will you mourn over Saul seeing that I have rejected him Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. You know the story. All the boys walked before Samuel, and Samuel said, No, 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 no. None of these the Lord has chosen. Don't you have another boy? He said, Yes, he's a young lad, and he's out tending the sheep. And Samuel said, Bring him. We will not sit down until he comes. He brought David in, and as soon as that prophet's eyes landed on young David's face, he said, This is is the Lord's anointed and he took the cruise of oil and he poured it on his head and he declared that he would be the next king of Israel how did David know that he was not going to die on the battle that day because God had already promised him that the crown would rest on his head and that he would sit on the throne of Israel and he had not done that yet and so he knew that he might die one day but he wasn't going to die this day because he could still smell the oil in his hair every time the bleed breeze blew by he knew that God was with him and God had anointed him How can you be so sure that you're going to make it home to heaven one day? How can you be so sure that nothing you face will be able to keep you from finishing the race that you're running? How can we be so confident that God will help us finish the great commission of taking the gospel to all the world? How can we be so confident? Are we arrogant? No. We know that God has promised us some things. And as David Livingston said, we know that we are immortal until our work on earth is done. God will keep us here and he's able to keep us here until we finish what he's called us to accomplish. 
The enemy might try to bluff you and he might try to make you afraid, but he is a liar and the father of it because if God's given you a divine assignment, the enemy cannot stop you from fulfilling that assignment. You can stop yourself by caving into fear, but the enemy can't stop you if you'll step out and trust God. He's going to keep his promises to us. David knew that Goliath couldn't kill him because God wasn't finished with him yet. God's going to keep his promises. He didn't set his love on me in eternity past to abandon me in the middle of my current trial. Jesus didn't die to halfway save me and leave me on the journey because he couldn't finish what he started. The spirit who lives inside of me is not intimidated by the forces of hell that are surrounding me. 2 Timothy 1, 8-12, Paul echoes the sentiment of David. He says, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. How do we face suffering for the sake of Christ in this world? Here's how. Paul says, God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. That same God called and appointed me, Paul says, as a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher to the Gentiles. For this reason, I suffer all these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Paul, how do you keep going? Verse 12 ends this way. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. Paul said in Philippians 1 and 6, I know that I am convinced that God, who began a good work in me, will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. He'll finish what he started in my life. Romans chapter 8, Paul said, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is Christ who died and furthermore also is risen, who's at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. We are killed all the day long. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That just about covers everything. Amen? Give the Lord a hand of praise today. Pastor Chad comes, and as I close, I remind you today, his countrymen doubted him. Nobody around David believed David could do this. Saul didn't believe it. The army didn't believe it. His brothers sure didn't believe it. But David was convinced that God could use even him to win this battle and to bring glory to his name. His countrymen doubted him. The giant disdained him. Have you ever been in a fight where it seemed like the harder you fought, the more your giant shouted back at you? You ever faced a problem that just didn't want to go away? And no matter how hard you stood, no matter what you said, it said something back to you? 
I mean, some of you know what I'm talking about. I mean fights where not only is the obstacle there, but the, it's not just you're facing a mountain, you're facing a giant. What's the difference? Mountains don't talk. They just stand there. Giants are worse because they say things to you while they're standing there. Some of you are facing problems today, and it's not just that you're facing a problem. You're facing a problem that has gotten in your head. You're facing a problem that speaks to you. You hear this thing talk to you. You're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to recover. You've made it through a lot, but you're not going to get through this. This is too big for you. I'm going to take you under. I'm going to destroy your faith. I'm going to make you crumble. This one's too much. You finally met your match. Oh, I know in the past you've been okay, but this time is going to be different. This time is not going to be like the rest. You're going to fall this time. And the giant speaks to you and disdains you and prophesies to you and tells you what its plans are for your life. I want to tell you today, some of you are facing a giant. And not only are people around you maybe not giving you much encouragement, but the giant itself talks to you in your heart and your mind and whispers to you that you're not going to make it. But I want to tell you, though his countrymen doubted him, and though the giant disdained him, his God delivered him. God is able to make you stand. The Bible says some beautiful things in the Psalms. He said, a thousand will fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. God's able to make you stand when everybody around you is falling. God's able to help you win if nobody's winning. God is able to empower you for the glory of his name to do what he called you to do even if the odds are stacked against you. Pastor, you don't know what kind of trouble my marriage is in. Lots of people who end up in the shape that my marriage is in, their marriage ends up in divorce. It doesn't mean it has to happen to you. It doesn't mean it has to happen to you. Pastor, you don't understand. I'm here and my marriage has ended in divorce. And and I'm struggling and I'm fighting. And the enemy tells me that this is going to be the blow that takes my legs out from under me. And I'm not going to be able to recover. I'm not going to be able to do right by my kids. I'm not going to be able to make enough money to support my family. I'm not going to ever find love again. I'm never going to move on from this. This is just the end for me. This is the thing that has taken many people down. And now this giant is coming to my life. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what you've seen other people do. Your God is for you and your God is with you. And he's able to help you overcome the giant that you face. He's able to help you today. It doesn't matter what you've seen happen to other people. Listen, God is not telling their story. God is telling your story. And you've got to get an agreement with God about the way this story is going to play out. You can't help what has already happened to you. But today what you can do is you can shake yourself. You can get righteously indignant. You can get divinely discontented and say, I've had enough of this. And you can put your trust in God and you can believe the testimony that God who helped you in the past will help you today. And you can rise up with five smooth stones and a slingshot in one hand and the God of heaven's armies in the other hand. And you can wade into this battle and you can defeat this giant. You can win today. Stand with me all over God's house. You may be here and you may be unsaved. You may not know Jesus. You may have never had a moment when you asked Christ to come and save you from your sin. That may have never happened for you. Can I tell you today, many times people don't surrender to Christ and become Christians because they believe the lies of the devil. The devil tells you you could never live the Christian life. It's just too hard and you're too weak. Other people might can live this, but you cannot. Maybe there's a great giant standing in your way, a lifelong bondage, some habit or sin that you are afraid you cannot escape, a powerful addiction that's held you in its grip for even years. Learn from David. This is not about how strong you are. 
This is about how strong your Savior is. And Jesus is mighty to save. Mighty to save. Strong to deliver. He has already defeated sin and Satan by his death and resurrection from the dead on the cross. Listen, Jesus can help you win the battle today, but you've got to surrender your life to him. You need God in the fight with you. You need to line up with him. Hear me? Fellow Christian, what are the places in your community, your neighborhood, your life, your church, your family, your place of employment? Where are the places where you see the name of Jesus being brought low, where the glory of God is not um, manifested, where people don't know God or reverence God or care about God, the places where his name is often used as a, as a cuss word or a slur word. Where are the places where you see people living in disregard for God and his commandments? Maybe you're there and you say, Pastor, it's just so hard to work in that place. This, this obstacle of, of, of all these people, just the net effect of the environment that I live in, it's a giant, it's a Goliath, and it's so hard to live for God in the atmosphere where I work and serve and live. Maybe it's your work, maybe it's your college, maybe it's your neighborhood, maybe it's your own home. You may be the only believer in your family, and you may live in an atmosphere at home where other people close to you don't reverence or fear God. And it may be hard for you to live for the Lord, but even in your own family, you're the only one who stands for Jesus. Can I encourage you today? God is able to make you stand. You can see your Goliath fall. God is able to stand with you. And he's willing to do that. Is there not a cause? God, what would God have you do about it? What bold, courageous next step does heaven require of you? Don't be afraid of the obstacles that block your path. Don't be afraid of the giant. Look at the giant and say with Caleb and Joshua, they are our bread. Say it with me. They are our bread. Say it again. They are our bread. God will give our enemies into our hands. Why? So that we can look like great Christians? Or Forest Hill can look like a great church? No. But so that through you and this church, the world can know that Jesus is a powerful Lord and a mighty Savior. Amen. The name of Jesus can be exalted. I invite you today, rise up and take the next bold step of faith. Every head bowed for just a moment. We will not linger long. I'm aware of the time. But I want to ask, give you an opportunity today. If you need someone just to take a moment and agree with you in prayer about a giant that you're staring down in life today. We would love to encourage and strengthen your hand in God and take a moment and pray with you. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as Savior and you need God in your life, I want to invite you today to come and meet Him and let one of our prayer team members lead you to trust Christ. You need God in the arrangement. And that starts when you give your heart and life to Jesus and trust Him to save you from your sins. I invite you to come. Every head bowed for a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, in this room, I pray that our faith has been ignited and stirred up and that today we walk out of this place with fresh confidence and boldness and conviction that God is with us, God is for us, and it doesn't matter how many enemies are against us. You're going to make us stand. You're going to help us to overcome the giants in our past. Whatever they may be, Lord, many of us today didn't choose our battle, but we've got to fight it now. We didn't choose to be in the circumstance we're in. The circumstance fault has found us. But Lord, I pray today in the name of Jesus that you would encourage your people, that you're going to help them be victorious. 
because they've still got a job and a destiny and a purpose. You're not done with them yet, and this will not be the storm that takes them out. Thank you, Lord. Strengthen our hearts in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. I want to invite Seth and Kayla and Gina Francis and some more members of our prayer team this morning just to come and be available this morning. And while we sing a closing song together, will you come and pray? If you need someone just to agree with you in prayer today, let's lift our heart up to the Lord. Chad, lead us in prayer. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org. Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.